You're listening to episode 10 on Network Effects and Gaming from the Network Effects Masterclass here on the NFX Podcast. We're in the first wave of Web3 games, and a lot of people believe that game companies don't have network effects. But in this episode, NFX partner Giggy Levy Weiss takes you on a deep dive into the world of defensibility within the gaming industry, sharing the four layers of network effects, and an even closer look into Steam, a case study on the leading platform for video game development. So let's jump in. We were looking to build... Uh, the best venture fund out there that's going to serve Silicon Valley and Israel. And we're trying to think, what is it that we want to focus on? And James started talking about the studies he's been doing with network effects and how we figured out that network effects companies are the best ones that are coming out of Silicon Valley. What I immediately shared is that also observing Israel, we could see that the best companies coming out of Israel were also network effects companies. And so we looked at each other and we said, why don't we try to create a venture fund that's going to focus on these businesses? That led us to complete a study that I think James started before we started NFX of actually trying to understand what percent of the value in tech comes from network effects versus what percent of value in tech comes from non-network effects businesses. And what we could see is that while only around 20 to 30 percent of companies had network effects in them. Like of all the business plans we were getting, all the decks we were getting, only 20 to 30% had network effects in them. When you look at the successes, more than 70% of the value created in tech after the beginning of the internet era came from network effects companies. And so if it's 20% of the companies and it's 70% of the value, it's probably a better business to focus on network effect, which is why we decided not just to focus on it, but also call our fund NFX. One of the things that people often mistake is thinking that game companies don't have network effects. What people think is that a game is a game and you play it and that's about it and it's really not about network effects and it couldn't be farther from truth. And so what I thought I'll do today is start by telling you about the actual network effects in games and there's quite a few of them. The first thing is the direct multiplayer network effect, which is basically a normal typical network effect, which means that the more users that are participating in the game, the more value all the users that are already part of the game is getting, and of course, the more value the new user that's coming in is getting from the entire community that's already playing there. This is pretty common, and it's pretty true for most games, uh, but it's very true for multiplayer games. And multiplayer games can be everything from a poker game all the way to Fortnite or Call of Duty or any other major game. And so when we want to play these games, we want to play against other. We want to be matched. We often call these things liquidity. And so if we don't have enough players that we can actually play with, then the game loses its value. But even if we have, let's say that we're 50 people and we have 50 people that want to play, if these 50 people are all going to be different levels, it's really not going to be fun for everybody. And so we now need to match 50 people that are around the same quality of play, which means that for us to be able to do that and do it on the right geography so there's no latency between the different people that are far one from the other, and if we want to do it even in the same language sometimes, we require more and more and more and more games. And so the more people that are actually participating in the game, the better the game can be. That's the very first and basic network effects of games, liquidity. However, that's not enough. The next layer, basically, is being able to play against people that you actually know. And so in this particular case, if you want to play Fortnite now and you want to play in the squad with your friends, 
then the fact that you can play with actual people that you know creates an even stronger network effect. Joining forces with people or playing against people that you really know creates even stronger defensibility for the game, which is why many games are trying to get more users to be able to play with each other rather than just play with strangers. But even that's not enough when it comes to the network element of the game's network effect, because there's in many of these games, there's something called clans. And what these clans do is that they take groups of people, sometimes people that know each other, but often people that actually don't know each other, and you put them in this organization called the clan. And what the clan does is it basically gets you tasks that you need to do on behalf of the clan. It gives you benefit for participating in the clan. It gives you mission that you need to do not as an individual gamer, but as the clan. And then the, because of that, participating in the clan actually creates a much stronger feeling of belonging, a much stronger network effect, which gets people to stay much longer in the game. Generally speaking, in games, users that become part of the clan retain dramatically longer and spend more money than those that don't become part of the clan because the belonging, because the network element is much stronger for them. And so the first thing is the actual network that's being built in the game. At the high level, liquidity, and then personal network with the people that you know, or a personal network with the people that you partner with in the clan. That's the first layer. Once you have that clan, or the friends that you actually uh, play with, there is what's called the personal utility network effect, because now you need to coordinate with these people. You need to coordinate when you're going to play, you need to coordinate when you're going to strike, you need to coordinate what you're going to do. And so suddenly, we have now a messenger inside the game. We have now tools to actually communicate with each other over voice, over video, over text. These coordination elements are personal utility network effects. They're very similar to a Facebook Messenger or a WhatsApp that are personal utility. And basically, the more you use the personal utility, the stronger and more defensible the game becomes because you're now dependent on the game for that communication. And so layer number one is the network. Layer number two is the personal utility. But even that's not enough. The next thing we have in games, we have a marketplace. And marketplaces are basically at two different layers. The first and basic layer, which we're going to talk about a bit later, is the actual App Store network effect, which is the place where you find games, where you discover games. And that, is, that exists on the iOS platform, that exists on Google. It's called Google Play and Android. It's called Steam, and we're going to talk about Steam a bit later. And this is the first layer of marketplace in games. But the second layer is a marketplace that's dedicated for every game. In this marketplace, what's generally happening is that people can actually exchange things, like their virtual goods, or skins, or anything that they acquired or won in the game. That element of trading and marketplace basically makes the game much better for them, and of course, increases the defensibility of the game. It's very interesting to say that basically what we've saw in Web3 gaming over the last couple of years is an enhancement of that marketplace element as what the NFTs do. They allow people to actually trade their virtual goods of the game, not just within the game, but anywhere they want. And so basically creating a more global marketplace that enhances the value that you can get out of your game goods. The last network effect of games is the bandwagon effect that we all see when we ask kids what game they want to play. And so, like any other bandwagon network effect, what's happening is that as people start playing a game, beyond all the core network effects that we discussed, the next thing that happens is that people start talking about playing the game. And so you hear from your friend that this is the game they play, 
You hear from your friend that this is the coolest thing that's happening there right now. You hear from your friend that this is better than other games, and then you jump in. And so the combination of the network, network effect, especially when it comes, becomes personal, especially when it becomes with other people that you collaborate with uh, in a clan, coupled with the personal utility of the tools the game gives you to actually communicate with the people that you collaborate with, and then the marketplace on top of it and the bandwagon network effects make the top games super defensible. And I think that what people generally miss is that many of these top games have not been around for a month or two or even half a year. We're talking about games that are at the top charts for 10, 12, 15 years. And the reason that's the case is because of the network effect. It's not that there aren't other good games out there. It's that the network effect of these top games makes them so defensible that they actually stay on the top charts for many, many, many years. And that's why we truly believe that when we find the best game companies, they can create not just amazing businesses that grow very fast, but also super defensible business thanks to network effects. I wanted to talk about specific examples of network effects in games. And while not specifically a game, the what we want to talk about is Steam, which is a platform for game distribution over PC. So if you think about it, in history, when you wanted to buy a game, you literally had to go to a store. Games were packaged goods that you went to a store and bought and then put them in your computer and started playing them. And over the years, as the internet emerged, uh, game developers initially wanted to start updating their games. It was not even about selling them at the beginning. It was about updating the games once you bought it. Uh, and a company called Valve started this app that was called Steam that was supposed to allow them to update their games after you acquire them. Over time, they started selling games over this platform rather than just update games. And today it is the number one platform for distributing games over PC with over 120 million users every year and revenues north of $30 billion. So this is literally the number one game distribution channel for games over PC. Steam is actually the equivalent of the App Store on iPhone devices or Google Play on Android devices with maybe one big difference which makes it a lot more uh, impressive which is clearly does not come bundled with PC. Meaning that to get to these 120 million users, Valve, the creator of Steam, had to be in a position that people actually wanted to download and install Steam on 120 million computers, which is super impressive. So let's try to analyze the network effects of Steam and what makes it so successful now for more than 15 years. So the first thing that Steam is used for is essentially a marketplace, right? This is a marketplace between game developers that are putting their games on this marketplace so that users can find them, and users who want to play games and use Steam as a discovery channel for games. This has been the first use case of Steam and where Steam started growing. Steam basically allows for discovery of all the PC games, all the major PC games, for all the PC gamers in the world, and that's the beginning of its strength. But that's not enough, because what Steam made to become more defensible was to create two additional layers of marketplace on top of the initial developer-to-players marketplace that are making it so defensible. The first layer is the UGC layer, user-generated content. So what Steam said is the following thing. If we're only going to allow developers to sell games to users, 
we're going to have maybe a lot of supply, but it's still going to be limited supply. Why is it going to be limited? Because there's a limited number of developers that can actually launch games and sell them on Steam. What if we then allowed users to start creating versions of the game called mods or items for the games in a special place called the Steam Workshop, and then we allow these users to distribute what they've built to all the players. So now, on the demand side, we still have all the, all the players. But on the supply side, we don't have just game developers. We also have all the very engaged users that want to create content for the games they love. That makes the marketplace a lot stronger. And if you think about it, if tomorrow a new platform emerges, and now all the developers want to sell their game also on the other platform, if that other platform doesn't get all these unique features that the users generated, it will never be as exciting, it will never be as rewarding as getting the game on Steam. And so by adding that second layer of a marketplace on top of the first marketplace layer, Steam became a lot more defensible. But even that's not enough. Because what Steam did later is add also a third layer of marketplace, which is between the users themselves for the virtual goods in the game. So what Steam did is that they said, if you own a virtual good in one of the games, the ownership of that virtual good is going to be stored on the Steam servers. So that now, if you want to sell that virtual good to somebody else, you can do it using Steam and actually get real money for the virtual good that you won or that you bought in the past. Again, if you think about what's going to happen when a new marketplace emerges, maybe, to sell the same games, if you now can't move your virtual goods that are stored on the Steam servers into that other marketplace, why would you ever want to use the game, consume the game on that other marketplace? And so basically by adding two additional layers, user-generated content layer and a marketplace layer for virtual goods, Steam took advantage of the strongest marketplace network effects defensibility they could get to make sure that even when a new marketplace emerges, it's not going to be really beneficial for the users to get their game in another marketplace. But that's not enough. Because one of the things that Steam gave the game developers is the entire layer of identity. So rather than you having to create your identity in every game you play from scratch, you have your Steam identity. And your Steam identity basically allows you to log in into these games and play them very fast, which of course is great, but that's not the strength of it. The real strength of it is that you can take now your social graph, your network from one game to another. So when you have a friend on Steam, maybe a friend that you knew before, and maybe a friend that you got to know in one of the games, when you go to play the next game, you're going to be able to find that friend also in the other game, or invite that friend to the other game. And so now we're taking the network effect of actually having a personal network, overlaying it over the marketplace, and creating an even much, much stronger network effect that makes Steam so powerful. If you add on top of it the fact that Steam, by design, also has the bandwagon network effect, because it basically shows you which games are played by most, so that you can see which games are the most popular, you can see which games your friends are playing, so that it can direct everybody to play the same games and get that bandwagon effect that makes it even stronger. The combination of these network effects basically makes Steam so strong that it can command a 30% rake on all transactions that are happening on the platform. And when you think about it, for a $30 billion business, 
with 30% rake, you could assume that there's going to be lots of other competitors. Well, the reality is that there are very little. The reason that there's so little is because the strength and defensibility of Steam's network effect using the marketplace, three layers, the personal network that we mentioned, and the bandwagon effect, make it so hard to compete with that there have been very little attempts to go against it. Literally, in the last few years, we've seen Epic, the publisher of Fortnite, try to come up with their own store. They now have more than 50 million users, thanks to Fortnite. But what they're starting to discover is that it's going to be super difficult to move additional developers to their own store simply because of the additional layers of network effect that Steam added over the years. For Epic to succeed, they will need to be able to replicate these network effects and make their own marketplace as strong and powered by the same network that Steam have created over the years. This is a great example how a very simple business that started just as a normal marketplace between developers and players can become such a defensible, long-lasting, huge, strong business thanks to very smart implementations of additional layers of network effect, making it more and more and more defensible. Stay tuned to the NFX podcast as we'll post one episode per week until we complete the course. You can also watch this entire masterclass online at nfx.com masterclass, where you can log in, track your progress, and watch full videos, read transcripts, and find other related material. Thanks for listening to the NFX podcast.